unwavering commitment to what you say you're going to do. You have to be dedicated. You have to show up and consistency. Consistency is the name of the game. If you're not consistent, people don't trust you. How is it going, ladies and gentlemen? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you back to The Way of the Wolf. Our guest today is Jessica Yarbrough. She has quickly developed a reputation for being one of the best business strategists for coaches and consultants who want to sell and scale ultra high-end services. Her background is in international business, and she has built multiple companies over the years. So this is a conversation that I'm really looking forward to. I've recently started talking more and more about entrepreneurship, what that journey looks like, and we're going to be creating more of this type of content. So the timing could not be better for you to come on the show. Jessica, welcome to The Way of the Wolf. Thank you for having me. Let's go ahead and start off. I've gone through and looked at your history on LinkedIn and noticed that you had a stint of doing your own business. It looked like in marketing years ago, maybe a 10 years or so ago, and then you went and started working for someone else, and then you came back and really started to grow this business that you have now. Can you talk me through that journey and also just share a little bit more about who you are? Okay. Um, well, my background is in business and marketing. I actually started managing companies really young, uh, and I started my own consulting business in my early 20s. I went and got a degree in international business, and I actually wrote a business plan in college, but I didn't have any funding to make it a reality. And then I met the man with the key, which is what that company was. It was a man with my exact same vision, which, I, you know, if you believe in God or the divine unfolding of your life, which I do. Here was the man with the exact same vision, but with the money <laughs> was really fortuitous. So after I graduated college, we built this company together. Like we didn't have anything. There were no desks. There was nothing. So it was truly a startup company. It really showed me uh, what I was capable of because we had to build really fast. Um, and, uh, and I think that set up just a lot of foundation for success later in my life. However, I was young and I wanted to travel. And even though I loved building this business and I love the people in it, you know, there was still something missing. And I actually went on vacation. I joined a friend of mine in Thailand and I had a spiritual awakening there. And I ended up coming back and walking away from the company, giving up my shares and going on a four year spiritual journey. Um, and I, you know, like I said, all of the kind of eat, pray, love things that you can think about. I, I lived in Asia. I became, uh, I actually did some consulting there. Um, then I was like, wait a minute, I'm still doing the same thing, uh, except for now in a foreign country, which is even more challenging. Um, and I ended up becoming a yoga teacher and, and was like, I am done with the business world, uh, but was really cool because there was a lot of self-love and healing that came from that. Uh, taught yoga for four years, moved to Costa Rica, and and really had you know planned hey i'm going to start a yoga school that's going to be the business i do i do and then i got pregnant with my daughter and became a single mom and immediately as soon as i found out i was pregnant like my mind shifted and anybody who's a parent probably understands like first thing you think of is and I want security for this child. I want to give him the best life possible. And as much as I love teaching yoga, because I am a teacher at heart, 
you know, the, there was a lot of running around that wasn't going to create stability. So I literally started consulting um, while I was pregnant. And I remember a moment when my daughter was newborn, she was crying and, you know, sometimes you just have to walk away. So I just walked away, like went outside and I remember praying to God and like looking up the sky with tears rolling down my face, like, God, if this is the way this consulting, you know, if this is my way, cause I know I've been off this path for a while, like show me. And, uh, and I think it was four, six weeks later, I ended up landing my first, it was 40 or $50,000 contract and it was life changing. So, you know, that started my journey again, reigniting my journey 10 years ago into uh, consulting. That is quite an incredible story to be able to go down this path and then completely shift, move across the world, do all of these incredible things, start doing yoga and then find yourself coming back. It's almost like, okay, well, this is, it had to have been a sign where you're thinking, wow, this is this is my calling. This is what I'm meant to do. Even though you explored these other things and you found yourself coming back to it. Why do you think you find yourself coming back to doing what you do now? It's what I'm, it's what I'm great at. I mean, even my mom, you know, she was like, Jessica, you're wasting your talent, you know, as a, as a teacher. But I, what it was is I, as a yoga teacher, I love tapping into people's potential, right? So I'm still doing it. What I was missing though, was the strategy side. And I'm a strategist at heart. I always had this ability to find gold in any situation, any company I'd walk in, I would find immediately ways to improve it. And so this was a nice marriage of, of both of those things, because uh, I went down the rabbit hole of entrepreneurship as I consulted and made a lot of mistakes, happy to share about those, really drove my health into the ground. And I feel like having that that background, those years where I was able to lean back into that health and wellness, really marrying that with the strategy helped me to design a business model that allowed me to truly have it all in terms of financial well-being and the health, which I'm so passionate about. And so I needed to go on that journey. Right. I needed to have that fundamentals, even though I certainly went away from it for a few for the first few years of entrepreneurship to circle back. And today it's so much of my model is about what designing your life with the end in mind and, and what are your values and then making sure that the strategy for the business model that you're creating fulfills that. Because otherwise you're going to have a whole lot of money and you're going to be divorced. You're not going to be present with your kids. You're going to be 100 pounds overweight. You're going to have a heart attack, whatever it may be. You're going to resent your business and you're going to blow it up or or destroy your life in the process so it all it all makes sense now i guess is what i'm saying it does and i was it's so funny i was just having this conversation a couple of days ago and it, it's interesting when people pursue their passion whether that's building a business or working for a company and pursuing their passion it's almost like there's a pendulum that occurs and you can go way too far where you end up just working like crazy 60 70 80 hours or even more and end up making yourself miserable and sick and your family doesn't even want to be around you let alone your friends and then you can swing the pendulum the other way where all you it's just a party all the time yes. and you're not getting things <laughs> done and so i think finding that sweet spot is something that I strive to try to help people to do more often, but it's it's very challenging as a coach or mentor to somebody to help them find that sweet spot because ultimately they have to find it. So I have my thoughts on how this works and how I like to approach it, but how do you like to approach that with your clients? A great question. I mean, a big part is we we have to fix money. 
So, you know, if you are in survival mode and you're struggling to make, you know, pay your bills, it's really hard to say, okay, I'm going to do my yoga practice or I'm going to go do cardio or right. Like you, you're in this fight or flight mode. And so fixing the cash flow issue is huge. And then um, fixing cash flow and fixing time is what we fix. And so a lot of my clients are high performers. It's who I attract. And uh, they've built really phenomenal careers in the corporate world. And then they learn all that corporate programming, you know, how like your health is not important and you always have to be connected. I mean, I've literally had people say, cause I set really strong boundaries in my business. And when I, I, when I, when I set them, people are like, wow, you do that. You don't answer calls on nights or weekends. And I'm like, no way. And people pay me a lot of money. Um, I have very strong boundaries around time. So we have to create new habits for them around time and time management. And, um, you know, how many days off they take, you know, putting the phone down, not responding to clients, uh, building a team around them so they can delegate more. There's a lot that goes into building the systems and the, and the structure around you so that you can start to take better care of yourself. Oh my God. I'm really going to enjoy this conversation. Okay. Let's talk about building a team around you. There's so many rabbit holes that I want to go down, but this is something that is near and dear to my heart. And that is building a team. Yes. There are people that are high performers. They're individual contributors, maybe the best engineer in the room. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the best leader of engineers. And that's an example that I talk about a lot. But one thing that I have noticed as I've started to get more and more into this entrepreneurial space is how crucial it is to build a strong team around you so that you can focus on the things that you need to focus on. You may love designing completion tools, but if you are starting a business, there's a lot more to running a business than designing and manufacturing tools. You have to go out and figure out how to sell. You have to market. You have to be able to effectively communicate. All of these things. So how do you focus on that with your clients? Well, my clients are not strategists in terms of marketing. So that's why they hire me uh, to help them market position and then uh, sell their services and then build the team to help support you know, the delivery around it. Um, they're really good. A lot of my clients are leadership development experts, they're change management, they're, they're strategists, but in other ways, you know, not, not marketing strategists. I have career coaches, I have executive coaches. Um, and so what we're looking at in terms of a team is like, what is their genius and what can they focus on? And what I have them own is, is the core delivery, right? Not supplemental delivery, but the core delivery of their service. Um, and then because my program is expert accelerator, I am having them own their message, right? If they want to create thought leadership and they want to be known, we've got to own that. And so what we look to put in place is, um, some possibly home support if they need it. We'll talk about that, but what are the core team members that they're going to need to help get them to their goals? One is going to be some external marketing coordinator type of position. Like you need someone to press the buttons, <laughs> right? To grow your audience, to you know, get your content out there um, to the world. And then typically they need some kind of client support person and internal that can handle scheduling, you know, uh, client management, if you will. And sometimes that can be married with an operations person, but as they get really over 700,000, the operations role tends to need to be its own role. And then for a lot of clients, I look at also what kind of internal support they have, because a lot of them don't have that. Like, do they have 
a gym membership? <laughs> Do they have a personal trainer? Some people need that. I'm very disciplined. So for me, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Some people have to have someone telling them what to do. Uh, a lot of my clients aren't getting regular massage therapy. That's a, like a, a internal support that I would recommend. I've had clients hire private chefs when the cooking becomes too much for them. I've had people outsource their laundry, you know, uh, get their house clean more frequently, whatever it may be. You cannot do it all. And really important is to build a team around you to help you at home and also, you know, in your business. And to be okay with investing that money because they're going to give you your time back. Oh, man, that's what I was just about to ask. That is the biggest challenge that I see. When entrepreneurs are starting things up, they are so cost conscious. They're dreading having that outflow of cash when sometimes there's not any coming in. And to your point, it is absolutely crucial that you understand, hey, I'm not great at marketing and I'm going to have to pay somebody to create this content, to update the website. Because if I am a whiz at leadership development, that doesn't mean I'm gonna be great at developing a website. It doesn't mean I'm gonna be great at running a business. And so being able to acknowledge your strengths and weaknesses and figure out, hey, I'm gonna lean into these strengths and I'm gonna pass these things off that I'm not that great at is, such a crucial skill that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with early on and for a myriad of reasons. And some of them are, are understandable, but you touched on something a moment ago, which is how important cash flow is. So let's talk about when you are first starting a business, how do you go out there and capture that market share? How do you go get those leads? Well, it depends on the kind of business you're running, right? So go to where your audience is. For my clients who are selling high-end B2B, like we use the, uh, the power of LinkedIn. Um, it is the number one B2B platform in the world. Four to five people on the platform are decision makers. You can target and get right to that decision maker. So I definitely recommend using that platform if you're targeting high net worth individuals, uh, like career professionals, or if you're targeting B2B. Um, but if you want to get your first clients, go into your personal Rolodex. I mean, that's the fastest way to do it. And, and people that know, like, and trust you where most people get afraid, right? And these are including my clients who are former, like senior level directors or VPs or C-suite is they don't know what to say. Like, what am I even offering? Right? So once you have clarity and you can work with someone on identifying who your target market is. Uh, what their challenges are and what's the solution you can bring to the table, then that gives them confidence to go out and, and pitch this to their warm network. But you always want to leverage low hanging fruit to get your first clients. And then you need to build your cold audience, you know, and create that trust and rapport. And that magic ingredient is time for that. And most people give up before they even really give it a chance. You know, if you want to be an expert, it takes time. The first consultant I hired said, Jessica, no one knows who you are. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you got to build your body of work. And I'm like, my body of work? And he's like, yeah, online. And now if you go, you Google Jessica Yarbrough, you're going to find pages and pages and pages of, of me. So you have to put in that time and, and know that every day that you show up, you're, you're literally watering your garden for those future sales to grow. But absolutely leverage your low-hanging fruit to start with. I've come across a number of highly compensated professionals that have aspirations of starting their own business, but they haven't really put in, to be quite honest, any amount of work into building that body of work. 
that you were just talking about. And I'm starting to see more and more, we'll say, LinkedIn coaching experts that will coach people on how to build up their LinkedIn profile, start actually commenting on people's stuff instead of just like, like, like actually come in and start contributing is a first step, but then expanding out what you've done historically. If you've been on any sort of online publications, put that in your featured section, have a website, all of these things are basic, but they do take time. And a lot of times, if you're a vice president or a president at some big corporation, you're so focused on running that business that that stuff goes to the wayside. And then unfortunately we'll just take the pandemic for example a lot of people got let go and tried their hand at starting a business but they hadn't built any sort of online brand or presence and so it's just some rando trying to pitch a product when they don't even know how to pitch a product they might be the best safety executive out there but if you don't know how to come in and share what you do and pitch your product and show how you can solve their solutions you're you're spinning your wheels you've got you've got to get help so i mean i again i work with a lot of former uh, ceos one of my clients was a former cfo of a fortune 100 company and he was like, whoa, I had no idea entrepreneurship was going to be this hard. Because the problem is when you are at that level, you're completely detached from what's happening in all the departments that are ground level. And you're used to having an army of people around you to do things. So something so simple as just uploading one thing can take you hours, right? And even my client, Carl, who um, scaled like $40 million companies, he was like, man, this is so much harder, like being the solopreneur, we had to build this team. And I'm like, yeah, you don't have a team. We got to, we got to build your team. And you're used to, he's like big picture. Right. And so being a, starting your business, rely, a, a, it requires you to go down to the ground level and work on such a micro level. Cause you're literally building every little piece of the puzzle. And that you'd have to have outside help. You're not going to find it in a course. Good luck trying to build a business in a court from a course, right? It, it'll give you some ideas, but you're going to have more questions than answers. You have to hire a coach and that coach may not be me. I'm just saying in general, you're going to need some outside person to show you the way. And I, I've hired many coaches over the years who showed me my blind spots and gave me the strategy and support I need. And a lot of it was honestly internal mindset stuff uh, that I needed more than outside strategy because I'm a marketing expert and I still needed to hire people. I know how to market. I still needed help. <laughs> well, that requires us to check our ego. And if you find somebody that's at that C-suite level in an organization and then they step out, sometimes the ability to check your ego is lost on them. Not always, but a lot of times reality forces that ego check on them. If they don't end up just pursuing another C-suite job at another company and they're actually trying to build something from the ground up. I'm actually flashing back to a, a friend of mine that had, he was a um, safety professional and always wanted to start his own consulting business. And then during the pandemic, got let go, started his own safety business. And he and I have, were having conversations. He's like, my God, like, I've got to figure out my website. I've got to figure out how to invoice my clients. I've got to figure out this, this. And I was like, well, yeah, what, what did you expect? He's like, well, I'm used to having this massive team that does all this stuff. It's like, well, you can go pay for a team if you've got any cash flow, but if not, like you're going to have to start doing some of that work. And 
you know, I think that's a little bit of a double-edged sword because it is important for you as the leader to understand these roles, responsibilities, and what is occurring. That doesn't mean you have to do all of the heavy lifting, but having some sort of idea so that you can effectively communicate and then share your vision, your thoughts, your ideas, and understand what is and is not possible. Absolutely. And the reality is, because I have this happen all the time, is like if you're under 250, 350,000, you're going to be doing a lot of stuff, period, yourself. And, and, and it stinks. I always tell people when I see an application come through and they're like at 150,000 and they're burnt out. And I'm like, I feel you. I know it. I've been there. I get it. And this is where you're at. You're in, a, you're in between a rock and a hard place, right? Because you don't yet have the cash flow to put in the team that you need, but yet you know, you're, you're on the verge of burnout. And so it's just an interesting period where you are going to wear all the hats and have to work hard until you can break through free to that level. Because to me, I didn't feel a shift in terms of life and like, I could breathe till over 350. I live in, I live in California, 350. I was like, okay, got it. Okay. Now I can actually put some people in. And so again, it comes down to you know, what, what, how determined are you? Like, do you have the grit and the determination to push through to that initial level? It doesn't mean that that level is it because every level is going to bring about new challenges. Um, but at least break through to a level where you can build a team around you and feel like, Hey, I'm actually progressing and I'm not having to do everything in the business. Man, grit and tenacity two traits that are crucial for an entrepreneur. So we've talked a little bit about these, I'm going to say thresholds, 150K, 350K, 5 million, something like that. So I'm curious, what are some milestones as an entrepreneur or a solopreneur that they should strive for? Let's just say year one, you want to try to bring in X, year two, you want to try to bring in why and then hire two people what have you seen works best when you are strategizing with your clients and they're just starting out yeah just starting out is different i mean a lot of my clients who come to me have been stuck for many many years um just starting out if you can try to make a couple hundred thousand in the first year that's really good and then work to get to 350 to 500 in year two uh, and then be on what I call a three to five year plan to hit seven figures. And there's a lot of variables on that. I mean, it depends on how you structure your business, you know, what your price point is. If you are selling a $10,000 program, that's a, you, you need a large audience. And if you don't have a large audience, you're going to have to build that. So that's going to factor into the time. If you're selling six figure packages, I have clients who have 150, $200,000 packages. That's not a lot of volume to hit a million. Uh, but there's a longer sales cycle when it comes to selling to organizations, sometimes up to a year. So you can see, again, the time can make a big difference. Um, and that's why it goes back to your audience and your personal Rolodex. If you can leverage that, you will go faster. And another thing that makes a big difference is your ability to execute. If you're someone who, you know, you're in your head a lot and it holds you back that's going to be a component of that time. Um, and if you're someone who is just an action taker and, and just moves quick and on executing, you can go faster. The other thing is if you have an outgoing personality, those are the people I see that go further faster because they're the people who are like, Hey, I'm going to hop on video. Yeah. Oh, sure. I'll go speak at this event. Even if it's free, because it's the audience of my ideal people, 
Like your personality can determine a lot. Uh, people do buy you. Um, and then I will also say as far as hiring team members, you know, you would definitely need to hire your first team member, hopefully in the first year, um, two team members by to year two, and then probably three plus after year three. All right. Let's talk about personalities. Yes. You hit the nail on the head. If you want to go out there and get business, you have to have that high di person are you familiar with disc profiles yes, okay so, okay okay that's that explains a lot it is crucial that you be willing to go out there meet with people that you've never met or had conversations with strike up a conversation start understanding who they are what their business looks like what sort of problems they're having before coming in with the pitch in in my opinion and if you are a C or an S, that could prove to be quite challenging. Not to say that it is not possible. I've actually taken my disc profile three different times over the past eight years. And the first time I was a hardcore all the way out to the edge C. The next time I was C, kind of in the middle of the C quadrant, closer to D. Now I'm well into the D quadrant. And a lot of that comes down to the nature of my role. I've grown and progressed in my career into more and more leadership roles. And so I've had to adapt. Mm -hmm. Just because you're shy, introverted, and nervous as a teenager or in college or early on in your career, that does not mean that is who you are. It does not have to define you. You can stretch. You can grow. It's not easy, but it can be done. Do you have those types of conversations with your clients? Yeah. I mean, not so much about their, their disc profile, but definitely you can absolutely grow. I mean, one of my best friends was super shy and she's in a leadership role in a tech company now. So I totally hear what you're saying. Like you can grow into it. Um, I mean, I do attract a lot of high D and I's. I certainly have other people, especially on the human resource spectrum that may not be that like that's their vein. Um, you can still be successful. It comes down to your willingness to put yourself out there. So I always tell people, especially, especially for my new people, okay, first three years of your business, you need to be loud. You have to say, this is who I am, this is who I serve, this is who I can help, how I can help you. Every single day, you need to teach. Uh, and that's something that might be an edge for a lot of people, uh, but teaching is how you show people your expertise. You have to educate them. And so if maybe before you worked with a company that had educational materials, you need educational materials. But the fastest way to do it, honestly, is to hop on a video and be like, hey, guys, here's a simple concept and teach. I used to have a whiteboard. I actually use my iPad now in my Apple Pencil for teaching because uh, I like it. It's like cleaner. But I used to turn around and I would just live stream when I was building my business with a whiteboard. And I remember uh, doing that for weeks and, and literally earning several hundred thousand dollars from just getting up there and teaching my heart out, teaching information that people were giving away for free, uh, just smashing people with value. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I wanna hire you. Uh, so again, putting yourself out there in a really big way is the key. Even if you're shy, put yourself out there. And if you're you know, not the best on video, that's have a podcast, do an audio. You know, <laughs> Some people, they're not good on video, they're not. And so that's why, lean into the audio aspect of it. I feel like if you're not good on audio or video, you're gonna to have to double or even triple down on writing. You have to put two to three times much 
written uh, information out because video is instant connection, instant trust and rapport. So put yourself out there. Um, even if you're shy, it's going to be an edge and it may take you a little longer. And that's just, you know, you got to sharpen your tool if you want to be successful. I, I, <laughs> all right. This is, this is interesting because as an entrepreneur, let's just say a solopreneur who is starting out, the thought of giving it away for free is going to make people freak out, quite frankly. But you just hit the nail on the head, at least in my experience. And then this is something that other people, Gary Vee, Alex Ramosi, they all they're talking about give it away, give it away. And I think Alex's recent event of his, his book launch two weekends ago is a perfect example of the amount of effort that should be put in and given away. And if you create enough value and showcase your skills, they're going to come to you and say, hey, can I pay you to solve this problem? I need help with this. And at that point, that's when you build or strength solidify that relationship and then start doing real work with that client and then word of mouth spreads. It's just, it takes time. That is a scary thought if you live above your means financially and the clock is ticking before you have to go bankrupt or have other sort of financial issues, Again, goes back to what you touched on at the beginning of the show of how crucial it is to fix the financial piece first. Well, and it's a great point. I mean, everybody's got that runway, right? I, I was a single mom at rock bottom when I built my company. So I don't like when people come to me with excuses around money, I'm like, listen, I did it. You can do it. Okay. This is where you're going to have to roll up your sleeves and make hard choices, you know? And I remember you know, working on a Saturday while my friends were at the beach with a potluck and just being like, I'm building my business It's going to happen. You know, that's that grit and determination. So, you, you know, um, if, if you're not where you, where you want to be, ask yourself the question, what wasn't I willing to do? And then go do it. So you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to go out there and do the stuff. And then as far as giving away value, I mean, go to my YouTube. Like I get, I, I, I spend hours. I have already a successful business. But I still spend hours giving out free content and I give it out free content knowing that what 80% of the people or more will never buy from me. They're going to take some action on some things. I get emails. Oh, I did this. Thanks for that. And it changed me that one change and I made a $15,000 sale or $30,000 sale. They didn't hire me. They didn't take the next step. I'm not making it for them. I'm making it for that 20%. Making for that person who is going to hand me a hefty amount of money to help them build their business because they see I know what I'm talking about and they want help with implementation. I, I have people come to me and they say, Jessica, I watched every video. They're ready. I've had people hand me six figures on one call, a single call. And I do have other programs, guys. But I'm just saying that is amazing. That is amazing. And that was, there's no manipulation. I don't teach any of that stuff. It was simply a phone call, a relationship-based phone call from a highly educated person who had consumed my free value. It is not free anyway, guys. It's earned through your blood, sweat, and tears, through your time and, and nothing free. <laughs> Except a hug from your kid, right? Like, or your mom or something like what? It's not free. It's, it's earned. You are earning their attention. You're putting it out there. 
And especially for the high ticket space, the higher the end, the more education that needs to happen, the more trust. And that's how you get people that are pre-framed to buy that will, that will pay you a lot of money because they trust you. That trust factor is there. It's anchored in their mind. And the sales call is just a fitting like, hey, do I like you? Are you who you say you are? Okay, great. You're, you're, you're in integrity. Let's do this. It can be that easy. Okay. One last question on solopreneurs, and then we're going to start moving into, we'll just say the SMB mid-sized business space with some questions that I've got for you. And, and I'm going to actually tie this back to something that we touched on earlier, but then also really just get your perspective. And I think it's all going to weave together. So hopefully you give me the answer that I'm thinking you're going to. Solopreneur, starting, I'm going to say a yoga studio. You just mentioned how you got into yoga years ago. Where do you start? Do you start with giving away free content? What does that even look like? To start a brick and mortar? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that would be very different, right? Because you're coming into it. Uh, so I don't know if I would do a free demo. First of all, I'm in California. Okay, we in Encinitas, which is right up the road, we have the most yoga studios per capita, capita in the world. So most of the time, if you tell me you're going to open a yoga studio, I would say, do not do that. <laughs> However, my friend just opened one outside of Washington and it's a hot yoga studio. And I feel like East Coast, it's emerging. So maybe that's a good market. So before you do something, do a lot of market research and make sure it's it's the right fit. Uh, and then, it, you know, sometimes it helps to have a model that's already built that you're using. Um, she's using a franchise. I don't always believe in them, but for something like what she's trying to achieve, that may makes sense. And then as far as building your following, I mean, yes, you could be a yoga teacher and teaching in your community and start a yoga channel and do free videos. But if you're building a brick and mortar, I don't know if that would be the best thing because you'd almost have to do local workshops and build up the community versus doing online things. Online would mean you're tapping into people from all over the country versus your local network. So I would almost say if you were going to do that, that you have pop-up workshops um, and try to build community around it, try to be at every event, you know, the, what do they call it? Farmer's markets and street fairs and all of that. Like it's really gonna be boots on the ground kind of strategy for uh, a yoga company, unless you are going a franchise model, which is, is very popular. Got it. Well, I think that speaks to the importance of doing your market research. And then making sure that this is actually a viable solution. Yes, you may be passionate about it, but let's just make sure that there's a market for it and then tapping into that local market. I still argue that there would be a value with doing the online because there's so much exposure even to local people in an online community let's just say like i'm here in north of, of houston there's a lot of people north of houston now i'm not going to start a yoga studio that's not really my thing i need to be more flexible but it's not really my thing okay so let's go into we'll say the the medium-sized business space one of the things that i have observed over the years is it would seem that once small to mid-sized businesses get to around 100 to 150 or so employees, they seem to hit a ceiling. And I am curious if you have noticed that, and if so, how do you help those businesses navigate through? So I don't specifically work with that size companies, but I do have a lot of clients who serve those markets. 
Um, and it really depends on their genius, where, where they will go and, and fit in. Um, some of them help them more around the operations and systems side, and some of them help more around the people side. Uh, but I personally focus on small businesses. Um, typically, my clients are anywhere from 150000 to a few million. Got it. So this is something that I, I have seen and observed over the years. I've worked in oil and gas for over 15 years now, which is obviously highly acquisitive. There's a lot of M&A, there's a lot of integration, acquisition, and things like that. And many of the businesses fall around that threshold. And what I've seen is that they tend to hit a bit of a ceiling because that is the point at which you have to start implementing more systems, more processes, and more back office function to be able to scale to that next level. Because you're going to have to have likely dedicated HR, dedicated IT, obviously accounting. You're going to have to have a lot of that back office infrastructure that a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they kind of understand it, but they don't necessarily understand it at scale. And that's one of the things that I actually enjoy working with is, is businesses around that size to help them implement those foundational pieces to be able to step up to the next level. And then obviously you're going to be more on the radar from a regulatory and compliance perspective. You've got to understand all of U.S. employment law and things like that. So there's a lot of challenges to, to overcome. How did you identify that that was your target audience as far as... Would you, what do you say, 150 to five? Yeah, for a couple million, typically. Okay. I mean, the majority of my clients are coming in at least 300, 500,000, but occasionally I do have people coming in lower. And occasionally I do take someone who's coming out of the C-suite who, you know, was earning a million and, and their salary and wants to start a consulting business. But I, that's on a really a case-by-case -case basis that I'll take on someone brand new um, into the business. That's My heart is with these guys. That's why. Like I love entrepreneurs who are in that, that determined phase of this is what I want to create. And I also relate to them because I have no vision to create an eight figure company. Zero. I don't want, could I do it? I fully believe I have the capacity to do it, the intelligence and, and all of that. However, um, my value is around my family and, and quality time. And I know that if I, work too hard, I start to resent my business, which means that I'm resenting my clients. So there's a threshold of how many clients, and I've set that in my mind that I will, that I cap my, my programs at per year. And most of the clients coming to me are not trying to achieve an eight figure company. Most of my clients, they want to make a few million, whether that's two, three, four, five million a year, and they want to enjoy their life. Right. So that is why I've targeted those people, because that's what I resonate with. I'm not here to build an empire. I don't want 100 employees. You know, I don't need a private plane. I told you I have a travel trailer. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I want to go camping with my daughter. You know, um, I feel like on this spiritual journey that I went on in life that I did realize and money's great and I enjoy making money, that there is more to life. And, and part of that is living and, and making sure I'm in a place where I can stay in balance, where I can show up for everything, where I can volunteer in my daughter's classroom, you know, that I can take, um, you know, I did five weeks of vacation this year. I don't want to be building something just to acquire more things and, and move and missing out on the moments that matter and missing out on my health. I do believe you can have it all, but I believe there is a, 
a threshold of what's possible because there's only so much energy you have and then it's going to be taken away from someone else in your life. All right, let's talk about health. This is another topic that I thoroughly enjoy. And whenever I think about the theme of the show is entrepreneurship, leadership, becoming the best version of ourselves. To become the best version of ourselves, we have to be in a healthy space, mentally, physically. What do you do? What do you do to be able to keep yourself in that healthy place? Oh, a lot. One, I always have had a coach around this. So 20 something years now that I have had some kind of healer, coach, mindset, the whole thing, uh, some kind of spiritual well-being, whatever it may be. I've had someone for over 20 years, not the same person, uh, throughout the years to keep me accountable and to make sure that I don't fall into negative old patterns. Uh, you got to have that accountability partner. I cannot stress that enough. Um, as far as exercise, I'm, I am disciplined. Um, I have, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't need help around that in terms of I'm very good at, at, okay, I know that I feel good. And if I want to maintain my stress levels to keep them low and maintain my health and well-being, that I will work out five times a week. Um, so I have no problem with that. I bought an infrared sauna. So that's something that I really love. Uh, helps me a lot. Um, I have a massage chair. Uh, I will, I eat really healthy. You know, I eat organic food, try to have a nice, good balance. I'm gluten-free. I'm allergic. So we, we eat really healthy in my house. I'm trying to think what else, take time off, put those boundaries in. I don't work Fridays. Um, and I, I take it four weeks a year where I am completely unavailable. So four weeks a year, I will not respond to phone or email. And then I try to take at least, uh, one to two or three more weeks a year where I'm traveling, but working remotely. Um, those are just some of the things I do, man. I feel like there's a lot that I do. It's not easy. I take a lot of supplements. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else. <laughs> if there's something health and well-being, I'm usually pretty into it. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, okay, this really became a big part of my life in probably 2009 or 2010 time frame. I was working for an oil and gas company, killing myself, working 60, 70, 80 hours a week on big projects. I was meeting every deadline, but we were a, a global organization and my responsibility was over the data center environment. So if email went down at 2 a.m. and Singapore couldn't check their email, I was getting in my car and driving to the data center. So sleep was not really a thing. I was skinny and emaciated and sick all the time. And finally, I just came to this realization that this is not healthy. It's not sustainable for me. And I started setting a boundary. Every day I'd leave the office at 4 p.m. to beat traffic and get to the gym. I'd go to the gym. Sometimes I was exhausted, but I would actually go every single day. I was probably five days a week that I was going. And then I would go home, and if I had more stuff to finish up, I would finish that stuff up. But just learning how to set that boundary and give myself time to get away, to go to the gym. Sometimes it was a great session. Sometimes it wasn't. But I was building those patterns and habits that I needed to have to be able to create a healthy balance. And that's something that I don't think enough people do. Once you start to do it, you realize how life-changing it can be, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many people are dependent on drugs for antidepressants or anything else like that? I mean, 
for me, I know how I feel if I don't work out. I feel like crap. You know, I feel bloated. I feel lazy. Um, so that is that discipline. But again, I feel like some of these habits take years to build. You know, um, it's easier to reach for junk or alcohol at the end of the day versus saying, okay, I'm going to, I just need throw open that yoga mat or pick up those weights and you're exhausted. That's why I, I try to work out first thing in the morning uh, because I find that later in the day, the less likely it's it's going to be. So I try to work out at like 6.30 or 7 uh, and get it in the morning. And then I feel good for the rest of the day and I know I got it in. And then I can usually go for like a couple mile walk in the evenings um, after dinner. So it's, it's the healthy habits that you have to form. But again, whatever, it, you need accountability period. For some people, there's apps now, you know, there's all kinds of apps for accountability. There's those little planners uh, that you can get or an accountability partner. But if you're, it, if you don't have someone or something holding you accountable, I feel like it's really easy to slip into bad habits. But when you got to go to your coach and confess, you know, what did you do? What didn't you do? I feel like um, you're less likely to go that you don't want to disappoint them. And you don't want to disappoint yourself. So having that accountability is key. I can't imagine where I'd be if I hadn't hired so many people over the years and invested in, in my health and well-being. I just don't know. I've, I've been a pretty disciplined person whenever it comes to my health and well-being, especially over the past decade, like I was just mentioning. And even so, I have a, a friend of mine that owns a sports chiropractic and nutrition practice that's actually how we met. I started doing a meal plan with him. And while fitness was a big part of my life, and I am very structured, very disciplined, it's just who I am, paying him to give me a meal plan actually created that additional accountability because I knew every single month I was going to walk into Chase's office and he was going to look me in the face and say, were you strict on the diet? And I was going to have to either tell him the truth or lie to him. And I know that he had been doing it long enough to know if I was being honest or if I was lying to him. And he straight up told me, he said he has numerous clients that come in before he even takes their measurements. He can tell if they've stayed strict on the plan or not. Some people are cut out for it. Some are not. That's fine. The key there is the importance of the accountability that you just touched on. And if you know that you struggle with getting in the gym, maybe paying a trainer is exactly what you need to be able to find that balance and stay accountable to yourself and achieve those goals. Yeah. And anything, even outside of health. I mean, that's why we have accountability built into the program. People won't get things done if you don't hold them accountable. We have 18 milestones to complete in my program. It's a lot, you know, and we need to make sure you're moving the ball forward because this is why I don't like courses and because courses have an 85% attrition rate, you know, People download it. Oh, this is exciting. Really good marketing. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to do this. I'm all motivated. They get through module one, maybe module two, and then it just collects dust on their desktop. So we, we need the accountability. We need somebody saying, did you get this done? Why didn't you do it? Okay, valid, valid reason. Your kids were sick. All right, what's the game plan for the next week? Or wait, you just, you've been focusing on these things that don't matter, that aren't driving the needle forward in your business. I see that happen a lot. Just focusing on something that's not important. Right? It's like not important. What is the revenue driver in the business? I want you to go do that right now. You said money's the issue. Do this thing right here. We all need accountability in, in all areas of our life. 
I have seen an explosion of courses over the past, say, three to five years. It just seems like everybody's making courses to sell online. Have you seen that? Yes, it was bad before, but I was I think COVID, like you said, it was like another explosion. Oh my God, it has just blown my mind. And there have been times whenever I've thought about creating some course content, but truthfully, I'd rather just do it for free, give it away on YouTube. And that seems to be a better approach for me. So my question is, can you talk me through the difference between online courses and the program? You keep mentioning this program that you have. What is the difference and what might someone expect if they pick up the phone or contact you via your website? Hey, Jessica, talk me through your program or your course or whatever you have. What's your response going to be? And explain to me why your program is better. So our, uh, I do believe in training. So have an online course, just sell it with coaching. <laughs> that's, a, that's the difference. Um, you know, with my program, all of my programs are hybrid one-to-one -one in group. Uh, and that's a big differentiating factor. A lot of people in my space or and at my level, they are the guru model where they have shark salespeople who will close anyone into the program. They don't care who you are, whether you're a fit, whether you can make one payment or five or whatever. They don't care because they want the commission and, and they don't have to deliver. OK, so then you're thrown into a group uh, where you're on the phone with 100 other people. You have no direct access to the person that you hired. None. They don't look at your business personal the most, and they don't even hold a lot of the calls. You might be assigned a one-on-one -on -one coach who doesn't know anything about building a business. One of my former clients bought into this guru program. Her, her coach was a former Disney character. And my, and my client was a former corporate attorney. Imagine that. <laughs> so you're on the phone with these people. You get 30 seconds to answer your question on a group call. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like there's no way unless you are just so self-disciplined and you're, let's say you're 5%, 10% of the population who can just thrive off the online course and you're motivated and you're just going to do well, no matter what, a lot of people fail in those programs. And so with my program, you know, it is hybrid one-to-one -one group. Um, and we do have accountability built in. We have mindset built in. It's really, really powerful. It is 50% of the equation. That is how powerful it is, including for my C-suite folks. They need it. You think they don't need it. You think this person's got it all figured out. They're, you know, C-suite of a major company. They don't. They need both. So we have that built in. We do have some support in terms of helping people pull things together, um, uh, assembling things for them. We do have all-inclusive high-end retreats where we do production for them as well. So it's a very different program because not only am I teaching you the strategy, but I'm helping you to actually step into the mindset and the physical reality via your branding, your positioning, your messaging of what it means to be a really high-end coach or consultant. Um, I personally work on my client stuff. This is another thing like, uh, you know, I will look at their documents. I will teach them how to pitch and I will have them pitch me. And then I will be brutally I don't know honest. What that means. If you like, I... <laughs> that's theory. What do you What do you mean? Um, and I will be brutally honest with their uh, with their feedback. I'll say, take this part out. You just weakened your positioning. You're talking way too much there. I want you to say this instead. You know, um, I'm really working with them on the milestones and making sure they have a good understanding of of the concepts. There's no quizzes in my membership site. 
I don't care if I'm for multiplication quizzes. You understand something, you take the concept, you apply it to your business, and we're gonna we're gonna sandbox it together until we get it right, and then you knock it out of the park. So when you take it to market, it sells, and you get a return on your time, energy, and investment. It, it's just a very different model, um, and it's all the support, training, uh, mentorship, guidance, tools, resources, everything that I could possibly need to empower my clients. Like if I built it, they get it. I love it. All right. Before we start to wind things down, you mentioned something about the mistakes that you've made over the years. Can you share what is the biggest mistake that you've made and how did you overcome it? I would say, man, it would be two different ones if I can share two. Uh, one would be not getting the help that I needed sooner. I mean, whether it was, hey, I'm a marketing expert, I don't need help, or whether it was that hesitation or fear of investing sooner in the next level, right? Especially when you start making money and you're like, oh, now I got to take a big portion of this and reinvest it back in the business. So that would be one. I got better about that over the years. Uh, the second one would be not building my audience sooner. Man, if I could go back and start building that audience sooner and building my list, and I would have done that. Uh, there's money, a lot of money, a lot of gold in uh, in having an audience of decision makers. Uh, there's gold in having an email list of people that are your ideal clients that can buy from you. Not now, you know. My average person buys from me four to four months to a year. I have some people it's two years, but my sales cycle for for my business is, is four months to a year. So start building that list and nurture them and. Uh, and stay in front of them. I mean, don't build an email list and never email them, right? Keep providing value every single week. If you guys join my email list, every single week, you're going to get an email of value every single week. My audience will get this podcast, right? I'm going to share that with them every single week. They're going to get something uh, that allows them to understand who I am, what my values are, uh, and speaks to solving the current challenges that they're facing. Consistency over time delivering on what you say. You're going to deliver a message every single week, day in, day out, every week, whatever that commitment you make to your customers, to your audience is, you have to stay committed to it. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. Unwavering commitment to what you say you're going to do. You have to be dedicated. You have to show up and consistency. Consistency is the name of the game. If you're not consistent, people don't trust you. Yeah. Okay. Last question for you. What is your favorite book? Uh, I do like The Alchemist. I think that's a really great book. Why is that? Um, the Journey of Transformation. It's like a simple book. I like that. I like for a business book, Atomic Habits. It, I think it goes really well with what we've been talking about today. It's on my shelf right over here. Um, about building those habits and the, and the consistency over time of how they can compound. I really like that as a business book. How do people contact you? Uh, go to LinkedIn, put in my name, hit connect and let me know you heard me on the show. You can follow me on YouTube at Jessica Yarbrough and then be sure to download my free resources. I have a great one called The Ladder of Influence, which is how to scale your authority, grow your influence uh, so that you can grow your business. That's uh, jessicayarbrough.com forward slash influence. That way you can get on my list and get value every week. Jessica, thank you so much. You have dropped an incredible amount of knowledge on this show. You're giving it away for free, and I absolutely love it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. 
All right, everybody, that is all we have for the show today. We will make sure to have all of Jessica's contact information in the show notes. Please leave a comment, share it with friends and family or entrepreneurs that you know that are starting things up or maybe struggling with their business. Jessica can absolutely help them out. That's all we have, and y'all have a good one.